Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Well, good morning. Who's ready to receive the word of God today? It's so good to be with you this morning. Don't you love Pastor Destiny? Can we get a round of applause for Pastor Destiny today? You know, I learned a whole lot from her. We've known each other our whole lives. Uh, but apparently, I also get my fashion uh, <laughs> from her as well because we're totally twinning today. There's that. Praise God. As she said, we've been in a series uh, called Love God Well. Have you enjoyed that? This love God well statement, it's so foundational. It is, it brings clarity to really what matters most in life. It comes from the greatest commandment, which originates in Deuteronomy 6, 5, known in Judaism as the Shema, a very sacred text in Judaism, and it's very special to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. In the New Testament, Jesus labels it the greatest commandment, but he does something else. He adds something to it, and he quotes another passage from Leviticus when he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus does here is, is very significant in that he combines the two commands together and he makes them equal. He makes them inseparable. In fact, New Testament teaching confirms to us and makes it very clear that loving our neighbor is actually the very evidence of our love for God. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to love God with our heart. That means we feel it. We've talked about what it means to love God with our soul. That means we believe it, we decide it. And today, I get to talk to you about what it means to love God with our strength. Everybody say strength. That means we do it. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets real. We walk the walk. This is measurable, tangible, visible, active love for God. But how do you actively love an invisible God? I think you're already ahead of me. We do it by loving the ones created in his image. Jesus said, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. And I think that James 1.27 says it best in describing what it looks like to love our neighbor. How do we love God with our strength by loving our neighbor? Let's talk about what that looks like, and we'll start with James 1.27. He says it best right here. One of my favorite passages. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Plain and simple. To love God with all of our strength means to be moved with compassion, yet immovable by culture. I want to say that one more time. To love God with all of our strength, because this is where the strength really comes in. To be moved into action with compassion, and also to be immovable by temptation, immovable by culture. That's where our strength comes in. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. 
God, we thank you for the church. God, I thank you for Sunday mornings that we get to gather in freedom around the word of God in the presence of God, and we get to engage with you. Lord, I thank you that we don't just talk about you. God, we get to hear from you. And today we have an opportunity to respond to you. So we open up our hearts and lives, God, and we ask you to do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, do what I am incapable of. God, transform hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So back in early June, at the beginning of the summer, I discontinued my gym membership. And so after that, all throughout the month of June, all throughout the month of July, I thought about how I've got to get back in the gym. Like, I've got to get back in the game. I've got to start working out again. And I talked about it a lot, too. I'm like, babe, I've really got to start working out again. I've got to find a gym. I'm looking around, thinking about it, talking about it. June and July pass. August passes. I get into September. I'm still thinking about, gosh, I've got to start working out. And I'm talking about how I've really got to start working out. But I think there's one thing we can all agree on in this room, that as long as my workout regimen is only something that I think about and it's only something that I talk about, it does not count. Am I right? It's the same in our relationship with God, isn't it? We can talk about loving God well. We can think about it. We can get in a small group and study about it. But if we don't get out there and do it, it holds no water. We love God with all of our strength by being moved into action with compassion. Our passage says we look after orphans and widows in their distress. When James gives us this, he's being literal. Orphans and widows were the most vulnerable in Jewish society. We take this literally today as well, but we also understand that this represents all who are in need. Physical need, emotional need, spiritual need. We are moved with compassion, and it's easy to talk about everything that's going on in the world, right? It's easy to, to get in a group and just discuss it or, or to even think about it and to feel about it. But it takes strength to get out there and do something about it. And it takes strength because loving people is tiring. It's inconvenient. We can get weary. We can get offended because bearing other people's burdens gets messy. Yet this is where our love for God is proven and refined and strengthened. You know, Jesus provides us with the best picture of what it looks like to be moved with compassion. And that's in the story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you love the story of the Good Samaritan? It's something that many of us have heard and know. But did you know that Jesus gives the story of the Good Samaritan as an explanation of the greatest commandment? In Luke's account of the greatest commandment, Jesus elaborates and expands his teaching by giving us the story of the Good Samaritan. If you have your Bibles, let's read it together. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Would you repeat that with me? Go and do likewise. There is so much here. This is such a picture of compassion. This is also a picture of the church. I'm looking at a room full of innkeepers today. Amen? But the bottom line here is the command that Jesus finishes off the story with, and that is go and do. Basically, put what I'm teaching into action. Denny, Rodney, and I, we have four kids. We have a full house. And so we get bobos sometimes. And my kids, they kind of take pride in their bobos. If you're from the north, you say boo-boos, lace. Um, but my kids will even compare bobos. They'll be like, hey, check this one out, right? Okay, does anybody relate? And there's a few scenarios that happen often in my home. For instance, Doc maybe will fall and skin his knee, and I'm moved with compassion to go help my child who is hurting. But when I'm on my way, I'm interrupted by another child who barges in to say, oh, yeah, did you see my bobo last week? It was way worse than that. No comparison. Here's another scenario maybe you can relate. Um, the kids are playing in another room. We hear a loud crash and then a cry. My heart stops. <laughs> yes. My heart stops. I take off running to see what has happened. I'm heading to my child who is hurting, moved with compassion, yet I am interrupted by another child who barges in to say, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was his fault. It was not me. What the chattering child does not realize is in this moment, all that matters is the one who's hurting. And so I try to get down on their level and I say, listen, now's not the time to compare Bobos. Now's not the time to defend yourself or to blame someone else. The only appropriate response right now is to be moved with compassion. But how do you teach a child compassion? I say there are four components of compassion and this is what I tell them. See, hear, feel, respond. These are four components of compassion. Simple enough, a child can learn it. 
We're working on it on our, in our homes still. See, hear, feel, respond. In our story of the Good Samaritan, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they all saw the hurting man, right? But there's a difference between a passing glance and really looking intently so that you can truly see. In fact, just seeing can actually work against fatigue. It has a name, it's called compassion fatigue. We can see so much pain, inundated with so much bad news, that we lose sensitivity, am I right? But only when we slow down so that we can look intently. We have to allow our plans to be interrupted, our pace to be interrupted, so that we can slow down enough to really look and see the person who's hurting, right? But then we hear. The first thing that set the Samaritan apart from the priest and the Levite, the Bible says, is he went to where the man was. In order to hear, we got to get a little bit closer. We've got to lean in and really listen. And we ask, are you okay? Where are you hurting? How can I help you? And we wait and we listen so that we can hear. Compassion sees and that compassion hears. And only then are we able to feel. Feeling is a key component to compassion. You know, it's been so funny trying to te teach Doc. We have three girls and one boy. And, and trying to teach Doc uh, compassion has been hilarious. And, and he's getting there, but he's still got a long ways to go. So our two youngest are only 18 months apart, Doc and Daisy. And we constantly have to remind Doc that Daisy does not want to play tackle football. Like, Doc, you can't throw a, an impressive spiral football as hard as you can right at Daisy. She doesn't like that. And so he'll often accidentally hurt his sister. And, and he's trying to learn compassion. And so here's what he will do. Say he knocks her down. He'll go over to her, and he's making sure I can see. And he'll be like, hey, Daisy, I'm sorry I didn't mean that. You all right? And then walk off. <laughs> he doesn't even look at her. He doesn't even give her a chance to respond. He's just making sure I see, like, hey, look, did you see that compassion? He has not caught it yet because he doesn't feel it yet. And feeling it is key to compassion. And this is where it gets costly. This is where you lose sleep over someone else's situation. This is where you literally lose sleep over the addicted mother who returned to her addiction. This is where you cry tears no one sees because of someone else's teenager. You're walking through a situation and they keep turning to the wrong thing. This is where you bear other people's burdens. Feeling is costly. We see, we hear, we feel, and then we respond. And when we respond, that is when our love for God becomes visible. Most importantly, when we respond, that is when God's love for the world is visible. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus when we respond. And you might think, oh, how do we respond? There's too much 
what can I do? We can be overwhelmed and immobilized, right, with everything that's going on in the world. But to simplify it for you and I today, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And so we can ask ourselves, what am I doing on these three fronts? We want to respond with compassion when it comes to the world, our community, and in our homes above all. The world the community, and our family. How do we respond to what's going on in the world? Well, today it's easier than ever to know what's going on in the world. With our smartphones and access to so much information, we can see so many things. And so how do we respond? Well, we pray, we give, we go. We see something that's going on, and we slow down enough to engage with it, to learn about it, and to inform ourselves, educate ourselves, so that we know how to pray for the world and what's going on in it. And then we don't stop there. We find ways to give, don't we? And we give where we can, when we can. And then some of the blessed few of us get the chance to go. And anytime God opens that door, there's nothing like it when you get to go into the world, to the nations, for the cause of Christ. So we respond to what's going on in the world by praying, giving, and going. You know, Pastor Denny Rodney and I, we give to different missions, organizations regularly. We give to Israel regularly. We give to Christians United for Israel regularly. We pray for Israel regularly. In peacetime, much less in a time like this. And so we think about how we are to engage and respond with what's going on in the world. Because the world would love to tell you how to respond. But I want to tell you as the people of God, you're both immovable in some things and movable in others. And so we, when it comes to anything going on in the world, and especially anything happening in the nation of Israel, we're immovable as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We're immovable in our gratitude for the people through whom God sent our Savior. We're immovable in our honor and gratitude for the people through whom we received the word of God that nourishes on a daily basis. We're immovable in that. But we're also moved with real compassion for all who are hurting, all who are caught in the crossfires of war and violence because we know that Jesus died for all and he loves all and it's his will that none should perish. So how do we respond as a people of God to what's going on? We're immovable when it comes to the truth and we're immovable in those things, but we are so moved with compassion. Amen. And so we respond to what's going on in the world. We respond to what's going on in our community. We do this by taking the time to see, hear, feel, and respond. And North Point, that is what you do. I am so proud of the way that you saw a need for Bossier Parish students to be fed. And you didn't just give it a passing glance, but you leaned in. And you listen to find out, how can I respond to this? You felt it, and you are literally responding, not talking about it, but actually doing it, serving your community. You should be so proud of that. And then we respond, and this is most important. We respond with compassion within our homes. You know, you change a community by changing the homes. 
So I wonder what our families would look like today. I wonder what our marriages would look like if we really took the time to see one another and to listen and to feel what each other is feeling and then respond. And I want to challenge you to put this into practice this week within your home. Be the first one. I'm talking to you spouses, moms, dads. Fight to be the first one to act on this, to say, how are you really? What can I do for you? And respond literally in action. We love God with all of our strength by being moved with compassion. You know, the see, hear, feel, respond, I didn't actually come up with that. It originates in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And this is where Israel is in slavery and in distress, and God sees their cry. He hears their cry, and he responds. And so he comes to Moses and listen to what God says to Moses. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. Did you hear that? He said, I have seen their misery. I have heard their cry. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. God sees, hears, feels, and responds. And what he did for the nation of Israel was a foreshadowing of what he would do for the entire world by sending his son, Jesus Christ. God saw the suffering of the world. He heard our cry. And he was moved with compassion and he responded literally by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to save the world. And this isn't just a global truth. This is a personal reality for you today. I want you to know that God sees you. I want you to know that he hears your cry. That he feels compassion for you. And that he is faithful to respond over and over again on your behalf because your God is a compassionate God. To love God well with all of our strength is to be moved with compassion, but then it's also to be immovable by culture. Our passage, it says, religion that God accepts is pure and faultless, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and everyone say and. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, let me tell you, that takes strength. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The Bible tells us to cast off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles. The Bible also tells us to put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the enemy. And after having done everything to keep standing, God has called you and equipped you to be immovable in the face of temptation and immovable in the face of culture. Today, we all know that with smartphones and access to endless real-time information, the full force of pop culture and the palm of your hand, uh, the pull of culture is stronger against our souls than ever. And the current of culture is really driven by the enemy of your soul. And his agenda is to dumb you down so that you lose sensitivity to God and so that you lose commitment to the word of God. 
the, the, the spirit behind culture is trying to call evil good, good evil, trying to turn truth upside down. But you are a people who will stand immovable against the current of culture. And praise God, we've got some great examples. This book is filled with amazing heroes. Many have gone before you who have stood against the current of culture. It is in your blood as a blood-bought member of the family of God. I think of Daniel. No, let's back it up. I think of David who stood before Goliath. And David was immovable in his devotion to God. And he refused to back down from a giant who was blaspheming the name of the God of Israel. You guys, today, Goliath represents culture. Culture is blaspheming the name of your God. And you are immovable. And you are called to take your stand against the lies of the enemy. He's deceiving the world around you, but not so with you. If this says it, I believe it. If God says it, I will do it. And remember, this is a series on love, so we can be strong and loving and unwavering at the same time. I think of the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you love that story? Three young Hebrew men who refused to back down and chose to be immovable in their devotion to God. And Israel had been exiled to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar was crazy. And he built this huge statue and commanded everyone to bow down and worship it. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. He just looked for reasons to kill people. And so everyone went with it. The current of culture went with it, except for three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they chose to stand up in a bow-down culture, and they risked their very lives. And I love what they said. Listen to this. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to give them one more chance. He's like, okay, I'll give you one more chance. You can bow down to this uh, idol, but if you don't, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. And they said, basically, go ahead. Even if you do throw us in, our God is able to deliver us. He will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down to your idol. Hey, listen. That's pretty awesome, right? Their decision to be immovable was not predicated upon whether or not God would come through in that moment because they had firmly predecided, I am immovable in my love for God above everything else. What great examples have gone before us. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Hey, you can do it. This is what you were born for. You weren't born for when things were just easy and we wish we could go back to that. But hey, this is your finest hour. I think of the prophets of old who were the only ones in their time that would stand amidst a culture and rebellion against God. But they stood their ground, and they were faithful to their God, and they proclaimed the word of God no matter what came their way. I think of the disciples who were immovable in their love for Jesus Christ, even to the point of death, refused to back down from their devotion to God. And above all, I think of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross, unwavering in his devotion. 
He was immovable in his decision to obey the Father and to do the will of the Father with every step as he climbed the hill of Calvary, carrying that cross, weak, hurting, insulted. The crowd was jeering insults at him. And yet, with every step, he walked towards that hill where he would give his life. And as he hung there on the cross, the whole culture, they were mocking him. They were telling him, if you're God, come down. Surrounded in temptation. And yet he was so immovable in his love for the Father. And he was immovable in his compassion for you. I want to invite you to stand all over this place. The way that I want to end this message today is I want to pray for you. Because when we talk about loving God with our strength, that's where it gets exciting. Because we get the opportunity to respond to a hurting world with compassion. And we get the opportunity to stand up for truth and the word of God like never before. And I believe that what we need in here today is just renewed strength. I'm going to pray for every household represented here. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God renews your strength so that he can soften your heart for what's going on in the world. And I pray that God will strengthen your spirit so that you will not be fearful, but that you will be excited about the opportunity to stand up for Jesus in a bow-down world so that you can be the light of the world. And I'm telling you, we're going to see God do great things. And guess who he's going to do it through? Through you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word today. God, we receive your word. Lord, you're the one that said religion that God our Father accepts is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God, we receive this today as from you. And God, right now, I pray over every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will strengthen every heart. God, I pray that you would soften us towards you, towards your presence, God, towards your spirit, and towards the needs of others, especially the needs of the people in our own home. And God, I pray at the same time by your Holy Spirit, you will strengthen every person in this place. God, that by your spirit, we will have the strength to stand strong. God, by your spirit, we would have the love to speak truth in the right way, yet be unwavering in what your word says. So God, I thank you that we get to live this out. We get to love you well in a measurable, tangible, real way by loving our neighbor. God, and we just respond with a yes. If that's you, would you just say yes out loud to the Lord? Yes. God, we give you our yes today. Help us by your spirit. We give you glory and thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.